let's uh, find a place to. Hello, are we there? Are we there? Check. There we go. You make your way back to your to the place where you're going to sit for the next few minutes, and so I would like to read Jonah one seventeen to two ten again. And we're going to try to make some sense out of Jonah in the belly of this fish. So I'm going to read it again, what we read a few minutes ago. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we know that Jesus said that that was a sign that was really pointing to him when he would be crucified and buried and then three days later rise again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What do you do with a light bulb when it burns out? You leave it, you what? Replace it? You throw it away? Why? It doesn't work anymore. The purpose for which it was created, it's, it's violating that purpose. And so therefore, it gets thrown away into the garbage. We have this floor lamp. It has three lights in it, and eventually they all start going out until it gets all gone and it doesn't work. It's useless. It's just a piece of furniture at that point. It's not fulfilling the purpose of why the person who made it made it, which is to be a lamp. When a pen runs out of ink, what do you do with it? You throw it out. Or you put it back in the thing and then you grab it again, right? Things, things are created and they're created with an intended purpose. A dentist doesn't use a shovel to work on your teeth. Different breeds of dogs have different have been bred for different purposes, some to race, some to hunt, some to kill. Dogs, different dogs have different purposes. A chair is not a ladder, a ladder is not a chair. Most everything that you can think of in your life has been created for a purpose. It's it's been designed with a purpose in mind. A car is created to take you from point A to point B. Yet someone however, might violate that intended purpose, which happened in Toronto a couple of years ago. And they took a van and they used it as a weapon by driving it into a crowd of people down the sidewalk. 
Now, is the creator of that car, the GM, are they responsible for what that van did? Is the creator responsible or to blame for that car being used against its intended purpose and design? Interesting. I've been reading a book by uh, a young man. I guess he's in his 30s, maybe his 40s. You probably, some of you heard him. His name is Ben Shapiro. He's a Jew, and he does commentary on society. But he makes this point. He makes this point. The value of an object lies in its capacity to achieve the purpose for which it was designed. You know where I'm going with this, all this, right? This is what I'm getting at. You and I have been created by God. We are created beings by God, designed with an intended purpose. What is that purpose? Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. Anybody know it? What's the, what's the question? What's the chief end of man? What's the answer to that question? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Or someone else has said to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. You've been created with a purpose. Your purpose is to live for the glory of God. The struggle is that we violate that intended purpose. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. For all their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He violated his intended purpose. And it ends up where we read today, right? In the grave, in Deshoal. It's, it's actually a picture of something greater than just a grave. However, just like Jonah, you and I can get off course. And we find ourselves moving in a different direction. Not in terms of north, south, east, west, but in terms of ascending or descending. Here's what I read in a commentary by Timothy Keller. He's quoting another man named Peter Craigie, and this is what what he writes. Peter Craigie writes that when we reject and disobey God as Jonah did, it takes (laughs) radical treatment if it is to be remedied. He points out that the text has been depicting Jonah as descending, going down to Jaffa, down into the ship, down into the depths of the ship, and now finally he goes even farther down into the very depths of the ocean. But not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his buoyant self-sufficiency, was self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible. There was a fatal flaw in Jonah's character and it had lain hidden from him as long as his life was going well. It was only through complete failure that he could begin to see it and change it. Jonah had found himself in a downward spiral moving away, away from what? The presence of the Lord. Sometimes we have a hard time understanding what sin is. And as I've been thinking more about this, what does that even mean today? If there is no moral law, if there's just, it's just relative as making up your own, what is sin, right? It becomes very difficult. 
But sin is when a person violates the intended purpose for why they were created. It's a profound question to ask. Do you know why you exist? Do you know your purpose? We've been created by God for God. We've been created by God for God and to enjoy God. That that's our purpose. That's where you and I will find joy. That's where we will ascend to greater and greater heights. And you know that. You know that when you're on the mountain where God is real and vibrant where you're glorifying Him. But we can also relate to Jonah, where we're in the valley of the shadow of death. Thank God it's a shadow of death for us believers. And yet when we violate our intended purpose, you and I too find ourselves going down to Jaffa, down into the ship. Down, away from the presence of the Lord. This is not something that's unique with with Jonah. It started in the garden. It's quite profound. Adam and Eve, and now Jonah, they forgot. Instead of trusting God and honoring God and living in obedience to the will of God, finding their pleasure and having their desires in living for God and doing His will, They began to seek to live live according to their own wisdom, their own will, their own desires, to live autonomously apart from God. And they found themselves being separated from God and from the presence of the Lord. They were going down. Like Adam and Eve, this led them and you and I into all sorts of struggles that we face. Fear, shame, guilt, joylessness, the list can go on. It led them and it leads us away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I understand that, we, that God will never leave us or forsake us. So don't say that, I'm not talking about here that you can lose your salvation. I'm saying there is a sense where you are separated from God. Darkness begins to seep over. We will see in Jonah that it doesn't go completely dark. But that happens as a result of us not embracing and violating the intended purpose for who and why God created you, why He created me, why He created Adam and Eve, why He created Jonah. And that's the nature and the struggle of your and my sin. All through the Bible we see God extending His grace in this amazing story of redemption and reconciliation and deliverance and saving and drawing His people back into their created purpose for their lives. They're they're constantly moving away, giving their heart to false idols, different things, finding meaning outside of God. That's the struggle. It's your struggle. It's my struggle. And every time you and I violate the intended purpose for which we are created, it, it leads to a death down away from God. And so here we find Jonah, who's been created by God, called by God to be a prophet of God. And he's going down. Away from the presence of the Lord, he sought to take control of his life, to live autonomously, to control his life. 
following what he desired, what he thought was best for himself. And it stood in contradistinction from the word and the will of God that was revealed to him. Jonah, go down to Nineveh. Yeah, but no, I think I, I, think I got a better idea, Right? And so Jonah took his life and the mission that God had given to him and he decided that he would take it into his own hands and he began to flee, to take steps away from the presence of the Lord. He made a decision within himself of what course of action he would take that would be best for him and maybe even what he thought was best for his own people. And he started to go down. We live in a world that encourages us to look within ourselves, to follow our passions, to follow our desires, to be true to ourselves. Nothing has really changed from the garden. And now to Jonah, to us. And yet we find that when we look within ourselves, away from God himself, that we will go down. Away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is pursuing his liberty. He's pursuing his own freedom by following his desires, his own will, and his own wisdom. And here we now find him in the belly of a fish. Many commentators believe that is actually a picture of hell. Think about the most free person that's ever lived, Jesus. Listen to what he said. In John 4, 34, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 14, 31, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus never violated his intended purpose, which was to glorify God, the Father. Ever. And he was free. He never went down because of his disobedience. So why did Jesus have to go down? Because we've, we've violated our intended purpose and he's taken our place. And that's the story of Jonah. See, freedom, as we think of it, living according to our own wisdom and ways, that kind of freedom will always lead to our destruction. Jonah willingly and with great thought and effort made a decision to disobey God's word and he embraced what he thought would be best for himself in the pursuit of meaning and purpose. But that was a violation of the purpose that God had given him, and it led to death, to, to the grave, to Sheol, to, to hell. I don't know if you've really thought much about that in the past. We don't really like to think of those things. We don't like to think of death. I read an article a while ago how it talks about when someone passes away, we all, it's always called what now? A celebration of, of life. Because we're afraid to grieve. We're, we're afraid to, 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 to... Death is hard. 
Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a celebration of life. But you and I know that when we really slow down and nothing else happened, we get confronted. We can be confronted with our mortality. Hell is to be away from the presence of the Lord. To be away from love, to be away from all that is good, no grace, no mercy, never a relenting of disaster. This is what Jonah desired to be, away from the presence of the Lord. And the testimony of Jonah is that when we walk in our own wisdom, according to our own wills and desires, it will lead us away from the presence of the Lord. And God gave Jonah what he desired. All through the Old Testament, the fear of God's people was to have the face of God, the presence of God removed from them. That was their punishment. You want to go there? Fine, go for it. It's the same in the New Testament when the brother who's caught sinning within the church and he doesn't want to repent, hand him over to Satan. saying, hand him over to his desires because he will see that they won't fulfill him and he'll repent and come back to Christ. How different than the world that we live in. And here's Jonah. He's desired to flee from the presence of the Lord. And we, he finds himself in verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. And he's devastated. That is the distress. He got what he wanted. And yet here it is in the darkness. In the prison where Jonah, and you know this too. Kathy and I were just talking about this. Jonah's now alone with God. That's it. There's nobody else around. He's just with God. See, Jonah fled God, but God did not flee Jonah. What hope? In this prison... Jonah is alone with God. God moved and used his creation and his creatures to get Jonah in a place where he could be reminded of something that's life-changing. And that what's life-changing is grace. This, this psalm, this book is all about the grace, mercy, and steadfast love of God towards his people. It's about a God who does relent from disaster. It's not about perfection of a prophet, but it's about the perfect, unchanging, unconditional, pursuing love of a gracious God. And here Jonah is. All his schemes, all his efforts, all these superstitious attempts, weeds wrapped about his head, holding him fast in the bottom of the ocean with the prison bars of the mountain, locking him in forever, and Jonah Praise to God. <laughs> can you relate to that? I can. Those places where God takes you to and you get to the end because there's nothing left. In verses 2, chapter 2, verse 3, we see what says this. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. 
This is a psalm of the redeemed. It's a psalm where we see Jonah being reacquainted with the grace, mercy, and love of God. J.I. Packer is a, he's an incredible thinker. And he says in this particular psalm of Jonah, this song of Jonah, there's three aspects of grace that are necessary for you and I also to sing at the very end of this psalm, salvation alone belongs to the Lord. There's three aspects of grace that we need to be confronted with. The first is that grace is magnified by seeing that God is just. What do I mean by that? You, God, cast me into the deep. You, God, put me into the heart of the seas. It's your flood that has surrounded me. All your waves and your billows have passed over me. See, Jonah has come to this place that he's where he's at because he deserves what he's getting. He's not blaming the sailors. He's acknowledging that that he's guilty and he's attributing this distress that he's, he's experiencing in the grave as someone who knows who God is. And that God has done this. And that God is good. And that God alone is righteous. That God alone is perfect. That he is just. And he must deal with his rebellion and his disobedience. He's not arguing any of that. Now that's not like me, right? God's not fair that I'm in this. Why, right? You don't see that any in this song. Because he knows that he's guilty. He knows that he's disobeyed. And he knows that God is being just. And so there's, a, there's this admission that Jonah has of his guilt here. He understands that God is angry with him, and rightly so. Jonah is expressing that God is against him. That in this moment, God is his enemy, and it's a much more worse enemy than the Ninevites that he was fleeing from. See, grace will not be seen in its beauty and magnitude in the depths of our hearts until we're gripped with the understanding that we don't deserve it. Because if you think you deserve grace, then it's no longer grace. That's why we should never be ashamed to talk about about violating our intended purpose, about the sin and the agony that it caused Christ on the cross. Because until that really grips us, we're not going to see the beauty of it. Because grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. And if you think you deserve it, then it's not grace. Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve, which we see that here too. So grace is magnified by seeing that God is just. Secondly, grace is magnified when we see that we are helpless. Grace grips our souls when we see that we're completely unable to get ourselves out of the situation no matter what we do or what we try to do. We do not have the capacity to ascend back to God. Just look at the language that he says in verses 5 or 6 here. It's, it's quite powerful. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. 
weeds or reeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. He's at the bottom. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me for how long? Forever. How is Jonah going to get out? The imagery is profound. Because he's so shut up in this grave deep down in the darkness where he deserves to be and there's no escape open to him. Weeds wrapped about his head holding him in this darkness. The prison bars of the deep of which he's unable to open whose bars are forever closed upon him. This is the miracle of the story, not the fish. A divine act of God was required that Jonah might be raised to life once again. Yet God does the impossible. God descends down into the deep darkness with Jonah, cutting away the reeds, opening the prison doors, lifting him out of that dark grave. He who is holy has touched him who is unholy and made him clean. There's the story of, I mentioned this a while ago, of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, is it? And she's gone to every doctor. And there's this massive crowd, right? And she finally just, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And she does. And what happens? She's immediately healed. And Jesus goes, who's touched me? In that moment, she was made holy. Christ took her unholiness upon himself. Her blood stopped. Jesus' blood would be shed. This is this picture here. God does the impossible. He's come down into the grave. This is a picture of Christ. He's come down into the grave. And he's lifted him up. Listen to what he says. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Isaiah says this. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. The hands of the Redeemer have reached down and resurrected Jonah from the grave, bringing him back into his presence to life, to light. Grace is magnified and grips us when we see that our only hope for deliverance is God Himself doing what you and I could never do. Thirdly, grace is magnified at the mercy seat. What does that mean? There's two times here that have always been perplexing to me. And, And it says this, in 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 the second part of verse 4, it says, Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And then again in verse 7, it says, And my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. That seems really weird. It's not the way I would pray. But twice he mentions the holy temple. The temple 
was a symbol for the presence of God amongst his people. The very thing that Jonah once desired to flee from. But also inside the temple, in the Holy of Holies, was where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant was this gold box that had the Ten Commandments in it, and then on top of it there was a cover, and it had, the cover had two seraphim, all made of gold, and that cover was called the Mercy Seat. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, a priest would go in who was selected from all the other priests. We read about that when in the beginning of Matthew, I believe, or Luke. One of them where the priest goes in and he has a vision and they're afraid he got killed in there, but he's talking with God, Zechariah, I think it was. This was a day of atonement. It's where the priest would go in, a sacrifice would be made, and blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the people. Once a year. It's a picture that we now know is a picture of Christ. The priest would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat for the sins of the people. And Jonah here understands that the only way back into the presence of God is that his sin must be covered it must be paid for it must be atoned for there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood listen to his words of hope yet i shall again look upon the holy temple he knows that there will be a sacrifice how could this be how could he come to that conclusion because it's the holy spirit the prophets were pointing us to christ To once again be with God, to have access to God, blood would have to be sprinkled. Mercy was needed. God would need to relent in the shedding of Jonah's blood. And a, a great high priest would need to make a sacrifice to atone for Jonah and to reconcile him and restore Jonah to God and to, and to his God-giving call and purpose on his life. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above you, above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, the greater. By that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 9.12 says, He entered once for all into the holy places, the holy of holies, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
Hebrews 9.24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, right into the holy presence of God, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Grace is magnified and will grip our hearts when we see that only the blood and the life of Christ can redeem, save, reconcile, pay, atone, deliver, raise, satisfy, restore us back into a relationship with God. Because Jesus is the hero. He must always be the hero of the story. So, Hebrews 4.16, let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All this to the praise of His glorious grace. See, Jonah is revealing to you and I the essence of true saving faith. And sometimes I, I shy away from this because I know for some it's, it's, it's frustrating. But this is why Jonah cries out at the very end, salvation alone belongs to the Lord. And he hasn't even been delivered from the fish yet. First John 5.11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in His Son. That's why we read Romans, neither death nor life nor anything shall separate us from the love of God towards us in Christ. There's no circumstance, there is no darkness that is too dark for Christ. So Jonah reveals to us here what is true Christian faith. What is true Christian faith? Well, Christian faith is anchored in the belief that you belong to God and He is good no matter what the circumstances, all because of what Christ has done. Jonah starts this song by saying, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. That Lord there is is the word I am. He prayed to the Lord, His From the belly of the fish. Is God your God? That is a huge question. Even in the darkest of moments, no matter what happens, Jonah prays because he has faith and hope in a God who is good, a God who is gracious, a God who is merciful. And a God who is steadfast in his love and a God who relents of disaster, even if he's never delivered from the fish. He sings. I've noticed through the years that those who have a saving faith in Christ, when they find themselves in really dark, difficult times, that these times tend to awaken their faith and hope in God. But I've also noticed others who have a notion of Christian faith, but it hasn't gripped them. The grace hasn't gone deep enough yet that they get bitter and angry, resentful, and they begin to doubt the goodness of God. And so Jonah is is helping us to, to consider, is my faith 
a Christian faith? Is it a faith that's centered on Christ? Or is my faith in my circumstances, in a, in a God who's only good if things are working well? Well, then you are actually your own God. You're designed God to bend to your will, not surrender to His. Jonah also teaches us here to, to look to Jesus. In verse 7 it says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. We are to be a people who fix our eyes on Christ, on Jesus He says here, when my life is fainting away, that's a weird phrase. <laughs> um, I, I think I have an idea what it means in the sense that I've been known to faint a lot. <laughs> I faint when my doctor gives me a physical. I fainted looking at babies at the, in the nursery at the hospital. I fainted visiting people in the hospital. I just faint. I don't know why. I fainted in my buddy's wedding party while he's doing his vows. And there's something that happens when you faint. It's like this. Everything goes like this, though. It just The things that you could see out here, you can't. And be, it folds in on itself. That's what it means here. It's folding in on itself. You get caught up in all of your own thoughts. How am I going to get out of this? What can I do to fix this? And then anxiety and fear. Everything just folds in on itself. And then we hear him say, but then I remembered the Lord. He's looking outside of himself. Instead of looking within, he looked outside of himself. That is evidence of Christian faith. He remembered that if God was for him, who could be against him? That nothing could separate him from this God who is gracious and merciful and of steadfast love and who rents, relents of disaster, not even death itself. Jonah is remembering his God not as terror or fear of punishment, but as a hope. As a hope. He has hope in a God who is gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love and relenting of disaster. He's looking to Jesus. He's looking to the mercy seat. We can relate to this because we get into those mental loops in our own hearts and minds. And when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we just begin to play the what if game. Well, what if? Well, what if? Or what if? Or what if? Or what if? The record is repeating. And we go down. We spiral down. And Jonah is reminding here, Jonah is reminding us here, I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came up to you into your holy temple. Now maybe you've heard this this morning and you're super encouraged because you think, man, I'm just so not like Jonah. I don't have that kind of faith. Well, here's some encouragement for you and for me. Christian faith is to be focused on Jesus, who alone is good, but we see the patience of God here. Listen to verse 8. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Verse 9 says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Jonah's writing this song after he has been delivered from the fish, because he wouldn't have been writing it in the fish. And he's reflecting on all these thoughts that have happened, that have been whirling about in his mind. Did he actually die? Maybe. We don't know. Did God raise him to life? It's possible. Jesus says, this is a sign and a picture of me, so it's quite possible that he died. But whatever, whatever happened, I find these words here really encouraging because Jonah is being dead honest here that he doesn't get the fullness of grace. And then God delivers him. Here's what I mean. See, God is not calling you and I to have perfect faith, but rather to have faith in Him who alone is perfect. The whole story of Jonah, Jonah never gets it fully. That's for your encouragement, my encouragement. And Jonah is being so honest here, but what he's revealing... He's revealing that he still has some self-righteousness before God. I'm not like the Ninevites, the pagans who worship idols, right? Who worship idols and forsake the hope of steadfast love. I will... Those are not gracious statements, are they? Do you see why it's encouraging? I'm not like those idol worshipers, God. So therefore, I know you will love me. George Whitfield was an evangelist, and he wasn't really too popular with the churches when he would go through the different parts of the United States. In fact, they wouldn't even let him use their buildings for his evangelistic services. One of the reasons why is people were quite comfortable with George Whitfield to speak of repentance and call sinners to repentance who needed to turn from their unrighteousness and repent and turn from their sin and turn towards Christ. The churches were really okay with that. But here's why they wouldn't let George use their churches. Because as he was speaking the gospel and proclaiming Christ Jesus crucified... He also called Christians to repent. He called Christians to repent of their moral, upright self-righteousness. He called them to repent of their righteousness. That seems sacrilege in a way, doesn't it? But not if we believe that we are saved by grace and grace alone through only what Christ has done, when we bring our righteous deeds to God as if He deserves to show us something and give us something and deliver us, those are dirty rags of righteousness. And they're an offense to what Christ has done. And so Whitfield was preaching this and people were being offended. He would say, you need to repent of your repentance because we can't even repent well. Because we need grace. We need Jesus in every aspect. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. We need grace. 
We need the righteousness of Christ and to bring any of our own righteousness to a holy God thinking that that somehow is, he's going to love us more than someone who is a sinner. We need to repent of that righteousness. That has been profound in my life over the last five years. I'm not there yet. But my family really like to look down on other people. It could be a simple thing. Look at their yard. Isn't it just a mess? How could someone have their yard that way? It seems really innocuous. It's not a big deal. I can't believe they dress their kids like that when they come to school, to church. God must love me more. It's subtle. Because you may even have thoughts of some of your friends or neighbors who are living lifestyles or hold to different beliefs and feel a sense of superiority. You need to repent from that righteousness. And so that's why I'm encouraged because... God delivers Jonah, and Jonah didn't fully understand the grace and the mercy of God, but he did believe in it a little bit. Because it wasn't how big his faith was, it's who his faith was in. The story does not end happily ever after with a man called by God who's, who's got it all together, but rather it ends with a man who still doesn't fully understand it. But he's farther ahead than the first few words in this book, where God said to Jonah, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, go to Nineveh. We see a man's journey, we see a man who's being honest, and the reason why he can be honest and make himself look foolish is because he actually does understand grace. <laughs> Are you afraid to open up your lives to people because they might not, there's things in your life or sin in your life or th- let me, let me tell you this this morning. It means you, you, need to, you need to understand God's grace because he sees you as holy and blameless. And if you are ashamed of the sin or the things that you're doing and you're unwilling to talk about it, it means you don't really believe that Jesus has fully covered it yet, that he's fully dealt with it on the cross. That's why he says confess your sins to one another because otherwise you're still being defined by your sin, not by Jesus. And all of us wrestle with that and it reminds me of how much more and more fully I need to understand this grace that has been shown to me through what Christ has done. That God is just, that I don't deserve. I said this to my my kids every once in a while when they do something. So what do you deserve? Death. We deserve death. But by the grace of Christ, by the blood of Christ, He has reached down and He has brought us back to life. And there's all these little moments in our life where we need more life and we need more death. There's areas that we need to surrender, we need to repent, we need to lay at the feet of Christ. And hear this this morning. If the Lord is your God, you need to know that He is gracious, that He's merciful, that He's a God of steadfast love towards His people, relenting of disaster. And you can sing the song, of the redeemed as well. Salvation alone belongs to the Lord. And then we get to come and celebrate that at communion today. We get to celebrate this story of Christ going down and lifting and saving and raising you and giving you faith. And, and this morning, if you, 
If you want to repent or you want someone to pray with, Gord's going to be sitting over here if you want to do that before communion or you can sit there and quietly do it in your heart. You can sit there and just praise God for the grace that's gripped your heart. That's a miracle. And that you would come and you would worship Jesus as you partake of the bread and the wine as a symbol of his shed blood. For the, it's, it's the mercy seat. You're, you're being reminded of his sprinkled blood that has purified you, that has toned, that has paid for. It is a symbol of grace. And the, the bread is that picture of him drawing us together to be fellow participants of his body, members of the body of Christ. You're not alone in this and that He will never leave you or forsake you. It's profound. And so give it some thought and we're going to sing a couple songs in closing. You can go at your own pace. Uh, You'll see the wine and the juice at the different spots back there where you can dip the bread in the wine or the juice and partake of it. But let me pray for you and I just pray that you'll be encouraged. Father, I thank you that you give us this space, this place that we can come and we can open up your scriptures God, that we can be reminded that we fall short, but we can never outpace your grace. That it is, it's infinite. That you are good. That you're merciful. That that your love is unconditional and it's steadfast. It will never wane. That there's no circumstance, there's no difficulty that will ever separate us from you, because you live within us now, you've poured your Holy Spirit into our hearts, the spirit of love as a reminder of who you are and what you've done for us. And so I pray as we partake of the bread, as we partake of the wine, as we remember Jesus, what you've done and how you said, do this in remembrance of me, that we would think and have these imageries of Jonah and that that's our story. With an image of Lazarus where you called and spoke and you raised him from the dead. Father, that we would be reminded that we were dead in our trespasses and sins and yet you have made us alive in Christ by your mercy, by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourself, that any man should boast is a work of God. And so I pray that these, these scriptures, these verses that many of us know well, Father, that you would just remind us and Father, if we have sin in our life this morning, that you would bring it to mind that we might repent and turn and surrender to you. God, give us the courage to tell one another when we're, we're struggling so that we might help and walk with one another as hands and feet. So just bless us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.